The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Good evening. Welcome to Fearless Fabulous You. I am your host, Melanie Young, and this is your Empower Hour for Women. Each week, I am bringing you women who inspire as well as experts on health, wellness, and nutrition to make sure you're in your tip-top, most fabulous form. I want to wish everybody a happy Memorial Day weekend. Mine was fabulous, relaxing in the Hudson Valley and doing what I love, which is yoga and cooking good food and just enjoying the beautiful fresh air Uh, and planning hopefully some trips this summer, which is why we're going to start with our first guest. But before we do, brag note, good news. My second book, Fearless, Fabulous, You, Lessons on Living Life on Your Terms, was just named a finalist in self-help motivation category for the 2015 International Book Awards. So, whoa, I'm very excited because my first book, Getting Things Off My Chest, A Survivor's Guide to Staying Fearless and Fabulous in the Face of Breast Cancer, won the Cancer Health Topic Award for the 2014 International Book Award. So, I'm feeling pretty fabulous because two books two awards, not bad. Uh, I think I found my calling. And my other calling I have found is really diving into the issue of empowering women and making sure that we all stay at our tip-top healthy shape. I believe it because, as you know, I am a breast cancer survivor. I survived, you know, I faced my own health setback. I got through it, but it made me vigilant about taking care of my health and helping others do the same. With summer starting, I know a lot of you are planning trips with your family, not only domestically but abroad, particularly now that the dollar is so strong against the euro. I have invited Dr. Carolyn Sullivan, an adult nurse practitioner and assistant professor of clinical nursing at Columbia University School of Nursing, to be on the show tonight because she is a travel medicine specialist, and we all want to stay healthy when we're on the road. I personally am an adventure traveler, and I have my share of stories (laughs) of what has happened getting sick on the road. Sometimes I've just picked up a bit more than I wanted from unwanted doctor's office visits and pharmacy visits abroad to really crazy rashes to... Mm, too much information, but dog worms, scabies, and other weird things. So um, I'm really excited to have Dr. Sullivan on because we want to stay healthy this summer and we want to have a really great trip. So welcome, Dr. Sullivan. Thank you for having me, Melanie. Well, first of all, I, I said before the show, I'm a kind of a casual person, so I hope you don't mind if I refer to you as Caroline. Caroline or Caroline? Caroline. And I'm a big fan of Columbia University Medical Center. They have some amazing, um, you know, doctors and nurse practitioners. And I had Dr. Sabrina Brem on my show to talk about seasonal affective disorder in um, in January. So I'm excited to have you. So I know her well. Yeah, really great people. And so let's just start with, you know, you're planning a trip for you and your family. Let's start with abroad because the first thing a lot of people want to know is, you know, do you, you know, do you need to have shots to go anywhere? What, you know, how do you know where, you know, where you need shots or not? 
Well, um, you know, definitely, um, most importantly, when you travel, you want to make sure you want to start, start out in good health. So it's really important that you have your, your regular, you know, childhood and adult, adult vaccinations up to date. Mm-hmm. So one of those vaccinations that's always good to keep up to date is your, your, your tetanus shot. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah, now, not every destination requires a whole bunch of vaccines before you travel, but um, definitely um, if you're traveling to Asia, if you're traveling to South America, if you're traveling to Africa, um, those destinations, uh, there are some vaccinations uh, that would that could be recommended for your travel. Well, so it's really yeah. important to sort of research your destination and see what kind of um, uh, diseases you might be at risk for. Absolutely, and I know that um, the Columbia University website uh, www.health.columbia.edu forward slash or backslash travel hyphen medicine is helpful, but also this, um, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention at uh, www.nc.cdc.gov uh, slash travel. Very helpful because um, it's different from every country you go to. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great website to go to when you're uh, planning your trip because you can actually just pull up the destination that you're going to and it's going to tell you uh, a lot of really helpful information, um, pretty much from the recommended vaccinations that you need for your travel to what other types of diseases that you are at risk for that maybe, um, you know, there's not a vaccination for. So um, some places you might be at risk for, um, you know, insect-borne diseases mm-hmm. or e- even just, you know, a, a traveler's diarrhea. Well, um, let's, we'll get into diarrhea because that's a common one. Mm-hmm. But first, what should you pack? You know, when you're traveling, what do you need to have? First, your first aid kit, a handy first aid kit, but yeah. also the records you should take with you. Yes. So um, definitely if you're, if you're somebody who... Um, take some daily medications. It's important that you definitely pack enough of those medications, enough pills to get you, to last you through the, the length of your, your travel. Mm-hmm. Um, even bring some extra ones along the way just in case you got delayed in your travel. So you want to make sure you have enough information. And also, you know, write the list of those medications down on a piece of paper too. The, the, the name of the medication, the dose that you take, how right. often that you take it, and also if you have any allergies, make mm-hmm. sure that you have the, the allergies listed. And also you should know your blood type. And you should know your blood type, exactly. And then um, I always recommend that people put together a little um, a little travel med- medicine kit that you can take with you. And in there, in the medicine kit, just some basics, like if you're somebody who maybe uses Tylenol or, or ibuprofen because you get headaches, it's always good to, to have uh, some of those pills in the bag. Put some right. Band-Aids in there, some... Um, like a topical antibiotic um, ointment, just in case you got uh, stung by a bee, you got stung by an insect, or if you cut yourself. Um, another thing to have in there would be like Pepto-Bismol tablets. That's for you know a potential possible diarrhea, mm-hmm. um, and a topical like hydrocortisone cream. So if you again were stung by some sort of insect, um, it could help with um, you know if you. 
had uh, you know some swelling on, on your arm around the site or wherever you got the, the bug bite. I also recommend, and I take all this because trust me, Carolyn, I have had it all. <laughs> I have been bit, <laughs> stung. Oh, my God. Um, I also recommend if you're going somewhere where you're traveling a lot by car or, um, you know, maybe you're going to be taking small planes or boats, sea bands. Yeah, yeah, the, like the acupressure bands. They can mm-hmm. definitely help with, with motion sickness. Yeah. Um, another, another suggestion for motion sickness, like when you're in a car, mm-hmm. is to basically, you know, stay connected with the, you know, the, the outside world. Um, you know, look ahead, look, look in front of you, look out the window ahead. Um, don't look down. Don't like try and read a book while you're in the car or right. even watch a movie because that can contribute to, to motion sickness too. Yeah. Like get if off the iPad. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think these are all really great points um, for packing. Now, some other things to think about that I'd like you to address is sanitary measures. Um, whether in, you know, a lot of people get sick on the airplane. Mm-hmm. Is there anything yeah. you can do about that? Yes. So, yeah, I mean, sanitary measures are very important. Um, you know, the, the, the number one way to prevent any sort of, you know, uh, uh, infection is really just good proper hand washing. Um, so minimize your contact with, uh, you know, it, uh, you know, doorknobs and railings. Um, if you have mm-hmm. kids, I know with my kids I'm always telling them don't, you know, don't, don't touch everything. They want to, you know, uh, you know, touch the, the, the handrails, everything. Mm-hmm. But if you, so really, if you have access to soap and water, definitely, you know, wash your hands as, as often as you can. But it's also good to pack a, um, the antibiotic, I mean, the antibacterial right. um, uh, hand sanitizers or sanitizing wipes. They're very helpful, too. Well, I agree because... Uh, my husband Dave and I were in Morocco, and here's what we learned: like we were really careful, like drink bottled water, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, don't mm-hmm. don't anything that's not been that's been peeled. But you know what we learned is we both got violently ill anyway because they washed. You know, we used the utensils that we yes. were provided in the outback. Yeah, right. So depending on where you're going, um, uh, you know, some people, you know, a recommendation would be to you know to pack disposable utensils. Mhm. Yeah. So yeah, you have to be you have to be careful with um, you know, food and water. Um, you definitely want to um, in certain uh, travel destinations to drink just bottled water mm-hmm. or water that is boiled. Mm-hmm. Um, that has been boiled. Um, that can definitely the boiling of the water can pretty much um, um, kill off a lot of a lot of the bacteria that might be present. Now, what about when you're in your hotel and you're looking at that sink, thinking about brushing your teeth? Yep, brushing your teeth, you should really try and use bottled water, too. Mm-hmm. And then um, be, ca- be careful of ice cubes. You know, you might be having oh, yeah. a drink and you're thinking the drink is safe, but then they use um, ice cubes. So it's, it's kind of a, it's, if, you, if you know that the, the, the right. water that they're using has been boiled, then, you know, you should be okay, but it's, you can never... You can never really guarantee that. We always say stick with beer if you're going to have a drink. And, of course, if you're a kid, not that I'm a big soda person, but sometimes it's safer to have a soda than drink the water. Yeah, yeah, beer, soda, wine. Um, yeah, you even have to be careful of the coffee, too. So what are, they, the common, the what are some of the most common um, conditions that you've seen come in? That obviously, 
gastrointestinal. But what 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 would you see, and how would you treat? Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's probably GI is definitely the the most common when people, mm-hmm. and lots of times they don't get the symptoms until after you're back from your trip. <gasps> so um, true. Yeah, right on the way home on the plane, people start to get sick. Um, but yeah, GI symptoms definitely the the diarrhea, um, but also you know insect bites. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, that's that's um, fairly common. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of good preventative measures out there, too, you know. So we recommend, um, you know, if, if you can, to go for, like, a travel consultation. Yeah. And during the travel consultation, um, you know, they'll, the, the, the healthcare provider will review any sort of um, vaccinations that you might need that might prevent you against, um, you know, an insect-borne disease like yellow fever, um, there's also uh, uh, pills that you can take to prevent you to from getting malaria if you're going to a, a, a country that has mal- the risk for malaria. That's really a great point because I do have some friends who got malaria, and you know yeah. it's so important to go if you are going on a on a intensive physically intensive trip, a family trip. If you have an auto, any kind of a, um, a disease an immune disease or a weakened immune mm-hmm. system or you're elderly mm-hmm. or you're going to particularly a third world country, but you know, it mm-hmm. could be anywhere because I've gotten sick at first school as well. Go to a doctor and make sure, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're well enough to travel and you're physically fit because there's nothing worse than getting sick on the road. Now, if you do get sick on the road, um, do you have any recommendations on where you should go for help? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the goal is you, you know, you want to, you you obviously want to stay healthy. If you're right. somebody um, that has um, some health, some serious health conditions, or if you're an older person, right. um, a lot of people choose to get um, like a travel health insurance. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and basically what that travel health insurance does is it would, I believe it covers the cost if you needed to be like airlifted um, to a hospital that has um, like Western, the closest to Western. Yeah. Western. Well, it, it, you, know, you have to ask, first of all, you should ask your current health insurance provider what is and is not covered out of your network and out of your country and out of your state and out of anywhere at this right. point. And two, um, I know there are some major credit cards that offer travel evacuation insurance. You should call and find out if any of the cards you subscribe to do. And then also um, supplemental health insurance. And there's different levels having done it. Um, many cover medical evacuation, which I do recommend. I have friends who've been medically yeah. evacuated from, from like Patagonia. Boy, were they mm-hmm. glad they had it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, depending on how sick you are, if you're pretty sick, you want to get home. Yeah. 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 And, and um, another thing I was reading on several sites, if you're going somewhere abroad that um, is any potential risk or disease or anything, you can register with um, the local, M. you can contact the local embassy, www.usembassy.gov, and um, there's ways to register where you're going at U.S. Embassy. Uh, it's called um, step.state.gov slash step, but that's also a smart move. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
I think it's interesting that you talk about how many people get sick when they get home. Many of my friends, um, I have, uh, we're, we're all kind of globetrotters. Um, a lot of the times, I've always gotten sick on the last day because you let your guard mm-hmm. down, or right. I'm sick a week or two after I get back. What's all that about? Is it because you're suddenly having a, an adjustment, or is it something you really do pick up abroad? Right. Yeah, I think it's something that you pick up abroad, and then by the time you're feeling, you know, you may not get the start having the symptoms until you know several days later. Do you recommend? And I also just want to note, it's not always traveling abroad because I got definitely out the Grand Canyon. I got definitely on Seattle, yeah, mm-hmm. usually from eating like something with dairy or uh, undercooked eggs. Um, right. Do you recommend if somebody has been abroad in any kind of area, it's questionable to go to the doctor when they come home from their trip? Um, if, if, they, if they've been sick? Well, or just if they've been anywhere they think they may have been exposed to something and they don't know. Yeah, um, it depends. I mean, if, 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 they, you know, if somebody can tell them they're feeling, they're feeling okay, mm-hmm. yeah, they probably don't necessarily have to go. Because okay, I, I mean, if there, was a, if there was an outbreak or something that they had heard about and they were that you had a possible exposure to it, then I, I would definitely check in. Yeah, I think it's really if you've had an exposure or if you think, if you got, another thing is if you if you became sick during your trip and you're better, but as we all know, sometimes things still mm-hmm. linger. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. That's, I think, uh, particularly if it's something gastrointestinal because something like that can linger for a while. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. If they've been sick, and then they, yeah. If you've been sick while, while during your travel, I would definitely check in with your healthcare provider when you come home. Now, something we didn't talk about that also is a common um, ailment when you go abroad, particularly in the summer, is sunstroke and 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 heat and dehydration and severe heat yeah. and dehydration. What are some things, obviously, besides drinking water, can you do to deal with that? Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah, I mean, with, I mean, you have to be very careful with, with hydration. I mean, every day, even if we're not traveling, it's important that you, that you maintain an adequate level of, of hydration. But when people travel, I mean, you have to be careful even just getting on an airplane. Mm-hmm. You know, you're at risk for dehydration. The, the air in the cabin is, is, has very low humidity, so you're, you're definitely at risk for some dehydration. So it's important to really to drink, um, I think it's like eight ounces of water, like every hour on your trip. While you're on, the, you you want to when you're, especially if you're on a long flight, you should drink mm-hmm. enough water um, so that you're getting up and having to go to the uh, bathroom frequently. You know, I'm the worst person to want to notice that. I'm a frequent peer. I mean, I drink a lot it, of water because I've gotten sick. Uh, from traveling on a plane. I used to do it a lot mm-hmm. and I was constantly getting sick and I always just warn whoever's sitting next to me, you're going to really hate me because I get up a lot. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's good too. I mean, it's good, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're drinking a lot of water so you have to go to the right. bathroom. But getting up is very good for you too, for you too when you're on a long flight because mm-hmm. it keeps your, your blood moving and um, when you're, you know... Uh, the dehydration on on an airplane can also uh, increase your risk for like blood clots. 
Well, deep vein, deep vein thrombosis is another yes. issue. So when you right. are on a plane, particularly during long-haul flights, what are some things that you need to think of? You talked about hydration, getting up and moving. Are there certain other mm-hmm. kinds of exercises, or is there anyone who's at risk it, for deep vein, deep vein thrombosis? Yeah, so, I mean, to, to prevent that for, for everybody, you know, the recommendation is to stand up um, and walk around um, um, at least, like, you know, once every one or two hours. Just get up and just take a, a cruise around the cabin. You should really, when you travel, wear loose-fitting, comfortable clothing, nothing tight, nothing like constricting around your, your, your waist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really like flex and extend um, your ankles and your knees periodically. Mm-hmm. Avoid crossing your legs. Change mm-hmm. posi- positions frequently when, while you're seated. Um, and, you know, people that are at risk... Um, um, for traveling, for um, blood clots, or um, anybody who has had recent surgery, oh, you know, interesting. Yeah, yep. Um, people who are pregnant, mm-hmm. um, people overweight. who have had a, overweight, people who have had a, a deep vein thrombosis in the past. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have any of those those issues or any concerns, you should definitely talk to your your doctor before you, you know, um, you know, make a an. Ex- uh, a long air airplane trip. Well, if you're pregnant, if you're being treated for um, a, a disease like cancer, if you're like I, I had to cancel a yeah. trip when I was going because I was going through chemotherapy, and my oncologist said, "No way, you're going to Asia." Uh, if you're yeah. elderly, if you're obese, if you have any physical situation that puts you at risk for anything, because deep vein, vein thrombosis is scary. It can it can just you know it's mm-hmm. terrible. And I think about that yeah. famous um, journalist who. Got it. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, another thing that you point out, um, and and you pointed out, always have a list of your medications and your allergies, mm-hmm. and 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 not only allergies to food and drugs, but also like latex, you know, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. But also have it in the language where you're going. If you're going to a country, make sure you know how to have it translated. Exactly. Yes. In the yes, in the different languages. Yeah. And have that all. You know, prepare that. Have that all prepared before you travel. Yeah, and, and just know the basic yeah. things like hospital, doctor, pharmacy, bathroom, mm-hmm. feel sick, need help, stomach, pain. You know, the common mm-hmm. things, know how to say them because it is so hard when you – I'll never forget being in um, Africa and having the worst reaction to bug bites. And just, mm-hmm. you know, you're somewhere and you, are, you, you feel so far away and you're scared because you also have to be careful right about um, – needles and the drugs that you mm-hmm. get over there. You don't go for the cheap stuff that's generic. You mm-hmm. don't know if it's legit, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's best just to make sure you yeah, pack enough of your own medication and bring it with you. And also wear a medical alert bracelet if you really have a condition. Yes. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you really want to stress in the few minutes we have last, um, Carolyn? Yeah. Um, you know, just to, to back up another point on the whole um, dehydration um, and being on an airplane, um, you know, not, not only does it staying hydrated can prevent against deep pain thrombosis, but it just keeps your your eyes moist, your your whole respiratory tract moist, and those are all ways of of preventing getting like an infection. When you're on an airplane in, in that closed cabin and there's a lot of people on board with a lot of germs. You know, the, the staying hydrated can really help prevent you from getting any, you know, um, you know, something as simple as a, a, a common cold. It's true. Um, 
I've had, uh, I'll never forget, a woman got violently ill next to me on an Air France flight. I shouldn't say but she was so sick. I had to leave. I, I got scared and ran away because I thought she was going to die. I mean, I've had, med- I've seen medical emergencies on flights. And it's like, if yeah. that does happen, um, you know, they do do, there's a doctor in the house, um, you know. Yeah. Make sure your flight attendants are there to help you um, and make sure they know what the condition is and if you do have any issues because that's very yeah. scary. I actually had a relative who died in flight. He had a heart oh, attack. No. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Um, but not to scare everybody. <laughs> no, no, because travel is fun. Travel right? is fun. It's travel fun. is fun. And there's nothing more pleasurable than setting off, whether it's, a hundred miles away or across the oh. interior around the globe. Just, you know, when you're packing your cute sundress and your sunglasses, yes. also pack a good sunscreen. Yes. We'll be getting yeah. into that oh. in the next show, in the next uh, mm-hmm. segment about uh, yes. sun protection. But, um, you know, be smart and mm-hmm. you'll be better for it. Um, I just want to note that uh, Columbia Doctors is on Twitter at Columbia, Doc- Columbia C-O-L-U-M-B-I-A-D-R-S. To follow and um, any uh, final parting thoughts before we move on to the next guest? Yeah, no, just you know, you know, it's best to, to, to keep yourself healthy on a regular daily basis, yeah. right? Engage in a healthy lifestyle. That way, when it is time to travel, you'll be you'll be ready to go. And yeah, it's true. And and actually, if you are planning a big trip, try to get in shape before you go. Don't go on a hiking mm-hmm. trip or a biking trip and not work out. If before you've never biked, right. yeah. If you're planning to climb, like I was planning to climb in the Himalayas, you know, uh, you know, don't don't just say I'm going to do it. Get in shape before you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very yeah. important. Look at- <laughs> so, where are you going this summer? Are you going to be doing some traveling? You know, I, I have I have two weeks uh, vacation, you know, booked already, but I don't know where I'm going yet. I'm Ooh. trying. I'm in the I'm in the process now of trying to, to choose my destination. Well, I hope you go somewhere wonderful. I'm I you know if I had the time and the ability, I'd be heading to Europe because it's a strong dollar right now. Uh, it, I know it's a good time to travel there. Exactly. Yeah, but sometimes but, you know, I just want to like throw an arrow at a map and just see where it lands. It, 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 that's that's kind of you know that's kind of the way I feel. That's kind of the way I feel at the moment. I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to figure it out. Well, I'm sure you'll be one of the healthiest and most uh, prepared people on the plane, train, wherever you go. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you again, Dr. Carolyn Sullivan of Columbia University Medical Center, nurse, adult nurse practitioner, for all your sage advice on travel healthy and travel smart. I hope everyone listening took this advice and will think about it when they plan their trip. Great. Thank you, Melanie, for having me. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. You're listening to Melanie Young and Fearless Fabulous You. I want to thank you for taking your time this Memorial Day Monday to join me. If you are not able to or if friends want to tune in, uh, you can find me always on iHeartRadio, iHeart.com, and the IR app. Just download it for free, and you can take me on a hike. <laughs> you can take me on a trip because iHeart is available anywhere in the world. Just find me under Shows and Personalities at Fearless Fabulous You. Melanie Young, and you can also hear listen to my other show with Hubba Bubba David Ransom called The Connected Table Live on Wednesdays at 2, also on iHeart. So continuing with our start of summer, we're going to talk about uh, another um, 
safe area that we want to stay in, and that's uh, skin care and smart sun care so that you do uh, can reduce your risk for skin cancer. Now, this is like a sobering topic for all you party animals who've been having fun this weekend, but I got to tell you, it's so important. And um, joining me to discuss um, the importance of what you need to do to care for your skin always, not just during the summer, but especially during summer, is Dr. Lindsay Bourdon, a board-certified dermatologist, also at New York City's Columbia University Medical Center, uh, Twitter at Columbia DRS. Uh, and um, we're going to talk about important things you must know for you and your family. So welcome, Dr. Bourdon, and may I call you Lindsay. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I um, want to just say that I was doing a lot of reading on this, and I'll tell you why skin cancer runs in my family. I am uh, oh, as high a risk as anybody because I tanned as a, as a young girl. Uh, my dad had melanoma. My mom has squamous. It's, it's uh, you know, it's scary. And um, so I'm pretty vigilant because I stopped sunning uh, at 30, but the damage was already done. And so I have lots and lots of questions to ask you about this. Um, but what really uh, scares is, is really shocking is if you go to skincancer.org, um, you know, nearly 5 million people a year in the U.S. are treated for skin cancer. Yes, yeah, yeah, we see skin cancer a lot. Um, the most common one is obviously basal cell. That's the most common cancer in the world. Right. And then there's squamous and melanoma, and melanoma is a really scary one that you definitely don't want to get. What, squam- squamous or squamous? No, melanoma. Melanoma, oh, melanoma is a bad one. Yeah, melanoma yeah. is the one my dad had. It's not what oh, got no. him. I think what nabbed him was the uh, prostate cancer, but... Um, you know, my mom has the squamous, and um, there's also some, something called acnidic. Did I say right, keratosis? Oh, yeah, keratosis. You know, those are actually the precursors to the squamous cell cancers, and those are nice to be able to just take care of. If you get your regular screening, all you have to do is have those frozen, or there's other treatments that we can do to get rid of them so that they don't progress into skin cancer. So those, when we see those, we cheer because we can just make them go away. Well, let's just talk about, first of all, who is at risk? Um, uh, we just, I briefly touched on a few of the mini stats. Who is at risk? The biggest um, risk group are young women who go tanning. That is a terrible risk factor for skin cancer. Um, women who start tanning, or anyone, women or men who start tanning before the age of 35 generally have a 75% increased risk of melanoma. Um, so that's a really, you know, bad risk. And then having skin that's on the fair side, um, right. people with more richly pigmented skin have a built-in SPF that mm-hmm. people without that pigment, um, you know, they don't have that. Mm-hmm. So, and generally, you know, family history does play a role too. If, right. um, skin cancer runs in your family, you just have to be a little bit more vigilant. Also genetics. If you carry, um, the BRCA2, BRCA1 genetic mutation, yeah, there's actually, yeah, there's one also, uh, there's a BRAF mutation that some people actually genetically, um, yeah. and another CDN and uh, 2A um, genetic mutation, and that puts you at increased risk for, you know, melanoma. So, um, but the good news is now this people get screened so frequently, and there's much more awareness. So over the years, I find that I'm diagnosing more 
pre-melanomas in the form of um, like dysplastic nevi is the technical term, but just a little bit of abnormal mold that were potentially turned into melanomas, then I am actually diagnosing melanomas. It's now pretty rare for me to diagnose melanomas because all of my patients come yearly to get examined. So let's, uh, I want to talk about yearly exams. What is involved with a yearly exam and when should you start? You know, I tell people to start, um, some people who have a lot of moles, even from childhood, need to get checked regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, pediatric dermatologists generally have kids start getting checked earlier, like in their teenage years. And of course, I, I see adults and people come into me starting at age 18 and I check them yearly. Um, and that's mm-hmm. what I recommend, just getting checked on a regular basis. And what it involves is um, we actually just look over all of your skin. I mean, every nook and cranny. You take off your clothes. We look through your scalp. We look behind your ears and mm-hmm. between your butt cheeks, you know, everything. We just check to make sure there's no funny moles anywhere, and you can find them anywhere. So that's why we look. Wow. You know, I don't think anyone ever looked at my butt cheeks. I mean, I might yeah. not much all this. I'm like, I, I'm actually like, diagnosed this. <laughs> I actually diagnosed the skin cancer oh on, on someone's um, uh, anus once. So that's why, oh, no. you know, if it happens to you once, you always check. <laughs> I know somebody had it in their see... eyeball and then in their eye. I, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I know. Nurse. And. If I have a patient who does have a melanoma, I will tell them they have to go to a dentist, they have to go to a gynecologist, and they absolutely have to go to an ophthalmologist because they just have to get checked everywhere. And I I can't see, you know, obviously all the structures of the eye as well as an ophthalmologist can, so I send them elsewhere. But, yeah, we check everywhere. Wait, wait, why do you have to go to a dentist? Oh, because you can get them in your mouth. Really? Inside? Yeah, I I check most people's mouths, but... Generally, you know, I practice in New York City. There's so many dentists and people are very good about their oral, you know, hygiene and they, it's, it's never a problem. Anyone I ask, they always go like every six months to a year. So it's very rare to get a melanoma in your mouth too. But if you have a melanoma, then you're at increased risk of having more, which is why I tell people, you know, to go to a, a dentist. Regularly. Yeah, um, I the dentist thing really that that's a new one for me. Wow, um, you know it's yeah. I was reading and again skincancer dot org. And once you have a melanoma, you have a higher risk of getting another melanoma. Um, yeah. But let's just talk about the a. There's a, something called ABCs. Uh, what it, what is mm-hmm. um, to determine your moles? What is that? So the ABCs are basically ways to describe. Um, the way a mole is changing or appears so that you can identify it more as a melanoma. So there's like um, abnormalities of pigment, there's border, there's color, there's um, um, every, like every physical feature of how it could change that would make you suspect that it would be a melanoma. I mean, and they're pretty, um, they're pretty, self-explanatory. Like if you look at a mole and the border, what I tell patients is if you take a mole and if you were able to fold it in half and it looks about the same on both sides and the color is even throughout, then great. Um, If you notice that it's growing or the border's funny or if you fold it in half, it's very like irregular or it's bigger than the size of a pencil eraser, which is about, you know, six millimeters in diameter, Mm -hmm. then you start to get concerned. And of course, if you feel that it starts to get bumpy um, and it's always been flat, that's never a good sign. And then if it bleeds or starts to itch, 
I mean, those are all red flags. Um, well, and, and what about squamous cell? Let's just back up a little bit. Now, basal cell is 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 the most common, but it's the um, it's not as dangerous, correct? Right. Generally, they don't metastasize. I mean, never say never. Um, it has happened in the literature. Um, you know, if someone's very immunosuppressed from either HIV or some other medical condition like cancer there's more of a chance that it could spread, but generally they spread just around the area where they started and they can get bigger and it's good to have removed early because you don't want to let it spread for a long time and then wind up having to remove a huge chunk of your skin on your face especially. But the squamous cell ones, um, yeah, those can metastasize through lymph nodes. And again, that's not common, but if you were to neglect it for a long amount of time, it could happen. And so what does a squamous cell, cell look like compared to a basal cell? or they, a... So basal cells look, usually when someone comes in and they have a basal cell, they'll say, oh, I have this spot on my back. I thought it was a pimple. It was like a pink bump. And then it just started bleeding and it never seems to heal. Oh. And I think, okay, we've got a basal cell. Easy. We take it off. They have it removed. No big deal. Mm-hmm. With the squamous cells, it'll start kind of like, um, most of them start, as an actinokeratosis or something that kind of looks like that, where it's red and scaly, mm-hmm. and sometimes they start to bleed. Sometimes they look like warts. Sometimes warts can turn into squamous cells, like HPV mm-hmm. oh. can kind of turn into a squamous cell. Um, and they can get that appearance, and it looks like um, warty and scaly, and it's not smooth and shiny like a basal cell. Hmm. So... And generally, they occur on the face. I've seen a lot on the lower lip, too. And those are generally from chronic sun exposure. Um, and I see it a lot in people who do outdoor work. Right. Well, I just want to, again, from this website, skincancer.org, about 90% of non-melanoma skin cancers are associated with exposure to ultraviolet radiation from the sun. Yeah. 90%. Yeah, yeah, people get more sun exposure than they think as well. And, you know, they used to think that there was a study that was done, and when I first started dermatology, there was this widely held belief that you got about 50% of your lifetime sun exposure before the age of 18. Since right. then, they realized that that's not actually true. You get about 25% of your lifetime sun exposure before the age of 18, but the group who gets the largest amount of sun exposure is retired men because many of them go out and play golf, they mm-hmm. play tennis, they go mm-hmm. fishing, and they mm-hmm. spend a huge amount of time outdoors and aren't as vigilant about, you know, applying sunscreen because of their yeah. age range. Sunscreen wasn't as prevalent when they were younger and just wasn't something they were brought up with. So, you know, it's I see a lot of older men that spend hours and hours and hours outside during the week because that's, you know, what their hobby involves. Well, men also, I mean, I, I, I married one just like this and my <laughs> father was like this. They don't, you know, the, for some reason they just don't even put moisturizer on. Like it's considered like cosmetic. It's not cosmetic. It's safe. You know, I, yeah. I, I mean, we're, we now all go out and do it because we're outside a lot and we, we carry our, our sunscreen around. Now I'd like to talk about sunscreen. What is the recommendation for the kind of sunscreen we should all be wearing to make sure we have the best protection? Okay, so it's not one size fits all. The general recommendation is 15 SPF or more. 
Mm. But here's the caveat to that. Um, There was a study done showing that most people do not apply as much sunscreen as what's recommended. Oh. Um, Because what you're supposed to apply is about a shot glass worth of sunscreen to your body. So a shot out, glass? Wow, that's a lot more than I would have expected. Right. So when you're out for like a day in the sun, you should be using at least a half bottle of sunscreen, which no one ever does. I mean, I had when I was a kid, I'd have like a bottle of sunscreen that we started the summer with, and then at the end of the summer, there'd be a little bit left. Yeah, we, <laughs> and no we one ever applies. <laughs> and then you try to use it again. It's like, it should not be used. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's expired and then you burn. Um, but they, no one ever applies that much. So a new study was done and they had recommended that you just go for the higher SPF because then at least if you get half of it, you're still getting more than, um, you know, what, what is recommended to be 15 or more. Is, so let's say you, does a higher SPF really matter? Cause I've heard like really 15 all that matters. I mean, I go out by like 50. Is that like for real or is that like a sales pitch? <laughs> so if you block it with 15, SPF, you block out about 75% of the UVB and UVA, um, but and UVA is a little bit iffy. It depends on what you're using to protect against UVA. With, um, I think it's something like 30%, it goes to 98%, and or, you know, it's very small increments at that point. Right. But um, for someone who's very sun sensitive, that could actually make a difference. Well, so also, you have to like reapply get, it. You, know. you have to reapply sunscreen. You can't put it on the morning and think you're done for the day. I know. And, you know, that's something that's, like, kind of still surprises people a lot. And I'll tell patients that all the time. You're technically supposed to reapply it every two hours. Right. And most people probably, if they're outdoors and they're playing volleyball or they're surfing or they're toweling off vigorously, might even need to put it on more if they're washing it off their body somehow, even if it's waterproof. It comes right. off more easily than you think. And oh yeah, and also it's important to know if you're on any kind of medication, many, many, many medications uh, make you highly sensitive, uh, hypersensitive to the sun. Oh yeah, and no one ever realizes that. Um, right. I think it's something that's important because people can get really nasty burns from certain medications. Yeah, like retin-A. Oh like, yeah, well retin-A and doxycycline's another one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I've seen it a lot. Yeah, you got to really when you when you are on any kind of topical or ingestible medication, you must ask: Will this make me more sun sensitive? I mean, you got to ask about your food as well. And I want to quickly have two more questions, and I want to talk about some other things. But we we have we have a bit more time. But one, I just read an article in Everyday Health that there are certain um, foods you can eat that will help um, reduce your risk. Is that really a, a, a true that certain foods can reduce your risk? Some of them are like tomatoes tomatoes, coffee. It was today in Everyday Health. Um, yeah, you know, I didn't, when I, if you, I didn't believe it at one point when I was younger, but then I actually saw um, a study that was done and they had people eating tomato paste and yeah. they actually, there's something where there's an actual light that you can use to see um, the amount, it's like the minimal arithema dose where it's the minimum amount of time to get someone bread and their amount of time to get those people read actually went up after they had been having this tomato paste for an extended amount of time. So there actually, there is some truth to it. That mm-hmm. being said, I wouldn't go changing my diet just to avoid wearing sunscreen. I mean, I don't think it's like an earth shattering difference. I would just 
you know, I would continue to use sunscreen and enjoy some more tomatoes during the summer when they're in season. Well, yeah, and, and two points to that. The, 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 the foods, there were five. One was tomatoes um, because of the lycopene, uh, colorful fruits and vegetables. Coffee, go figure, because of an antioxidant, <laughs> which destroys sun-damaged skin. Supplements, well, I'm not going to go there because I have a lot of thoughts about supplements. But um, to that point, uh, do you put your sunscreen on before your moisturizer or after? I put it on before. Okay. Because I never want to put on a moisturizer that won't allow, like if there's, you moisturize to the point where you need it, whereas, you know, if you were to put the moisturizer on first, I think some people would put less sunscreen on. So Mm -hmm. I put my sunscreen on first to make sure it's on my skin, it's there, and then whatever I put on on top is just, you know, extra. And you want a broad spectrum UVA, UVB protection, right? You look for that. Definitely. So what's all yeah, the dermatology-approved, dermatology-guided? Are there's, are, is any of that worth considering when you're buying sunscreen? I mean, truth be told, I buy the cheap stuff. It's, I get, like, <laughs> no ad, or I get, I get something that has UVA and UVB. Um, mm-hmm. What I really like is the one, and what I tell my, son, my uh, sensitive skin patients to get right. is baby sunscreen. That's what I use. Because, yeah, that's... That's what I generally use because it tends to be less irritating. They also tend to have physical blockers in them, which are metals, and metals will just block the light away. And they can make you look really pasty. Certain, like, higher-end sunscreens mm-hmm. make the metal so that they don't make you look that way, but they're more expensive. But if I'm out the beach, you know, I'm, I'm not really – I'm just there to have fun with my family. If I were trying to look better, I'd probably use one of the higher-end sunscreens that – doesn't give you that pasty look, but um, as long as you're getting a high SPF and you're reapplying it, just use mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. And 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 also wear a hat. I mean, a hat. A hat oh yeah. Not, nothing replaces sunscreen. <laughs> yeah. But a hat. And what about, I actually, um, yeah, no, that's so true. And I actually recently diagnosed a woman with a skin cancer along her hair part. Ugh. So it happens. Yeah, I, I, that's actually more common. A lot of uh, people get it, um, skin cancers in their scalp. They don't realize it. Yeah. Um, two more questions before we wrap. I, there was recent news about, was it vitamin B3? Um, one of the vitamin Bs to help reduce risk or fight skin cancer. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I mean, I'm a little hesitant to, I know there's like new things coming out and I would wait to see if more comes out on all that. Right. Um, I would say that generally, I mean, most people that eat healthy and treat themselves well um, will have the best best possible outcome with any sun exposure because you have the most amount of antioxidants in your body. I don't think mm-hmm. that means you have to go and take a lot of supplements of those things, but I think right. it's just a matter of being healthy and maybe just taking a daily vitamin. Right. And also you really, everybody out there, you know, and when you hear about this vitamin or this supplement, you got to talk to a doctor anyway, because you, you know, (laughs) supplements and vitamins, you know, affect people differently. And you have to think about what you're taking. Otherwise, if you're on different kinds of medications, because you may not be appropriate candidate to take different kinds of. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I couldn't have said it better. That's so true. I feel very strongly about that. Um, you know, finally, avoid tanning booths. Why go to them? You know, that's like no. a direct, yeah, really, really bad. What about um, the clothing that says that it protects against sun? 
I actually love um, for my kids. I buy them the rash guard type clothing because you can get ones that are like 50 SPF and I can just tell you it makes my life so much easier to just throw a long sleeve, you know, breathable shirt on my son rather than try to run after him with sunscreen all day. So it saves you a headache. I think I agree. Um, one final question. I read that being in front of a computer, the computers, um, and also like if you're working in front of the windows, that that also can affect your skin? So the old computer screens used to emit some um, rays, but now the new computer screen, screens really don't. Um, but, of course, working next to a window does make a difference because UVB light won't go through the window, but UVA light does. And UVA light is what causes, like, breakdown of elastin in your skin and gives you, like, a more saggy look with fine lines and wrinkles. So I recommend that if someone's going to be sitting next to a window just to put on a good sunscreen that has UVA coverage in it at the beginning of the day and then maybe at their lunch break. I've noticed that um, in my desk now in front of the window, and I've been a little more careful. I notice that's starting to get peachy pinky and I was like oh my god it's my window how sad (laughs) (laughs) I know because it doesn't make work nice to be able to look outside Uh, one last question along those lines when you go to the nail salon a lot of news about nail salons and lately what about those um, dryers are those dangerous yeah actually there's a recommendation to wear gloves and now the new thing that's going to potentially happen is they're supposed to change all those UV light dryers to LED okay. so that people won't get that exposure in the future. I mean, I just don't recommend it because you're paying for, you know, more sun exposure and wrinkly old hands. Mm-hmm. So Basically, some of them you can yeah. actually put the light off. So if you could, but I, I think with those, um, you know, with the, um, now I'm forgetting the name of it, the nail polish that lasts for two weeks, those, yeah. Um, that dry under the UV light, you need that UV light, but they're going to make ones that harden with LED light rather than the UV. Well, I think that's important to note. I mean, you know, ultraviolet, obviously the sun is the number one uh, area for ultraviolet, but there are certain lights and certain other refractive lights that you have to think about as well. Like if you're driving and you have your arm out the window, you know, make sure you have sunscreen on that arm. I remember my grandmother had really freckledly left arm. Um, You know, all very important. Um, I, if people want more information, do you have a website that you recommend? Yours or any, I, I mean, I did skincancer.org, but any others as we wrap up? Yes. Skincancer.org is great. And the um, AAD, the American Academy of Dermatology, also has excellent information. Mm-hmm. That's all very reputable. Great. I want to thank you for that. Um, Dr. Lindsay Bordona of Columbia University Medical Center, board-certified dermatologist. Thank you for talking about this very important topic, particularly at the start of summer. I hope you have a great summer and a safe summer, and I appreciate you taking the time tonight on Memorial Day night. Oh, thank you so much. Hope you have a great summer, too. Thank you very much. Okay. This is Melanie Young, Fearless Fabulous You. I hope both of our guests provided you essential information to start your summer on a high note and stay safe. I hope you have a great week, and I will see you on the radio next Monday night. Thank you. 